Everyone, hope you have a wonderful day. We continue, we left off with Hashem's help. We're going to conclude the first chapter of Megillah today. Mm-hmm. So, yesterday we learned that learning Torah is even greater than building the Beis Hamigdash. And that explains why I think we so let's uh, the two lines, three lines from the bottom of page 16. B. Ezra waited. Ezra waited until he didn't make Aliyah right away to Israel. He stayed in Babylonia. It was only. It was only. Um, it was like seven years later that he waited to make to make Aliyah to to, to go to the land of Israel. after the temple was already built why didn't he go up to help in the building of the temple it says in the seventh year of the Yavish the second the Yavish that's when he made Aliyah what kept Ezra back because Baruch and Benedia the student of Yirmiyah and some say the son of Yirmiyah was still alive so he stayed back in Babylonia to study Torah when he passed away that's when he made Aliyah so learning Torah is even greater than building the Besamekosh Then he said, Studying of Tate is even more important than respecting your parents. Practical application, if your parent, if you want to go study Tate by someone, you, you, this is your favorite rabbi, this is your favorite yeshiva, and your parents don't want you, don't wish you to go, you don't have to listen. Studying Tate is more important. So you don't have to listen, even though it's in the Ten Commandments, honor your parents. But not when it comes to a shidduch, and not when it comes to where you're going to learn Torah from, because your heart speaks. This, this is my rabbi. I, my heart tells me this is my rabbi, so you, you, I'm sorry. With all due respect, my dear father and mother, I can't listen to you. I have to go to learn Torah, more important. What's to prove? All the years of Yaakov was in Yeshiva Vever. When he ran away from, when he ran away from uh, from Esau, Esau wanted to kill him, so he ran away. So before he went to the house of Lavan, first he was fourteen years in the yeshiva. Yeah. How do we know this? The master says, and this we we left off on the top of verse seventeen Why does the Torah tell us how long Yishmael lived? Taylor says Yishmael lived a hundred years, thirty years, and seventy years, yeah. and seven years. One hundred one thirty-seven. Who cares? <laughs> Taylor is not here to tell us. It's not a storybook. It's not telling us how long Yishmael lived. It's not a. It's about the Jewish people. In the Yachs when Shneitzer Shayakiv, and actually says he was a Russia. So why, 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 why do we care? So Yachs when Shneitzer Shayakiv. This is to tell us. Through the, the counting of Ishmael's years, yeah. now we know how old Yaakov was when he left his parents. And from there we learn, the Torah is teaching us, from here we know that he was spent 14 years in the Yeshiva of Ever. Shem already passed away in the Yeshiva of Ever. Couldn't go back though, the, the brother was still hot. How much older was Yishmol than Yitzchak? How much? 
Avram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And it says, Avram, then he was Avram. And then Avram, ben Mashana, he was 100 years old when Yitzhak was born. So Ishmael was 14 years old. It says, Yitzhak was 60 years old when he gave birth. When he gave birth to Yaakov and Esau. So how old was Yishmael when Yaakov was born? Do the math. If Yitzchak was 60 years old, how old was Yishmael, Uncle Yishmael, when, 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 when Yaakov and Esau were born? Barry? 74. 74. So how many years is left to his life? If he died, if he was 74 years old when Yaakov was born. And he died at 137. So do the math. 137 minus 74 is 63. 63. in the class. Oh, someone paid attention to math class. Shit in the class. 63 years old. The time you learn the brayzel. How old was Yaakov when he was blessed? When he stole the blessings? From his brother Ezo, he was 63 years old. Hmm. And that's when Yishmael died. It says, That Yitzchak blessed Yaakov and he sent him to Padan Aram. Then Yitzchak ostensibly. Yifka said he, have to, he has to find the Shidduch, so he sent him away to find the Shidduch. Not, he didn't tell him that Esau was trying to kill him. Yeah. But he said so, and he says when, a, when Esau heard that Yitzchak wanted to send away Yaakov to marry someone in the family, so he also went ahead and married a righteous woman in the family. So at that moment, Esau took another wife on top of his previous wives. <laughs> he took another wife, the daughter of Yishmael. He married his first cousin. The daughter of Yishmael, Machas, who was a righteous woman. And the Taita says, She was the sister of Nevois. Why is the Taita have to tell her she was the sister of Nevois? Don't I know that already? You told me she's the daughter of Yishmael. Any there? She was the Nevois. was the son of Yishmael. She's the daughter of Yishmael. I can put two and two together. So obviously she's the, she's the sister of Nevois. And why, and why is that relevant? She's the sister of Nevois. Melame, the Taita is coming to teach us. Umez, Yishmael gave her a hand in marriage and then he died. When he, he, in other words, the engagement, Yishmael agreed and Yishmael was still alive. When it came to the marriage, Yishmael died right then. And then we see in the voice of her, who took care of the wedding arrangements? It was Nevoyas, her brother. The brother took care, took care of all the arrangements because the father died. So how old was the head? So that was when Yaakov was 63 so that, that's how we know Yaakov was 63. Because Yishmael was how old when Yaakov was born? Yishmael was 74. And he had 63 years to live. When Yaakov took the blessings, stole the blessings, and Yaakov sent them away to find a wife. 
And then he married, and then Yitzhak went and took, married his, his cousin, the daughter of Yishmael. That was that time. Mm-hmm. So, the, so we know that Yaakov got the blessings. He was 63 years old. Okay. So shit in Utlas So you have so you have sixty three. Then there's fourteen years. Adam is Yalid Yosef. So Yosef was born with six fourteen years. How do we know this? Because because Yaakov was in love in twenty years. When Yosef was born, how do we know? Because he says he tells. When Yosef is born, he tells Lavan, I worked for you for 14 years, yeah. for your two daughters. And now I promised you I'm going to work seven years. Then you, you cheated me, you gave me Leah. So I promised you I'm going to work another seven years. And he married her after seven days. He married the Rachel, second, uh, the second wife. Yeah. And then he worked seven years. So once they were done... As soon as Yosef was born, it says he came to Esav and he says, I, kept, I came to Lovan. Uh, Yaakov came to Lovan, his father, and he says, I kept my promise. I promised you 14 years, and now it's time to work for myself. And then, and then he started working for himself. Right. And then it says, and he was there. By love, uh, a total of twenty years. Oh, one so so he was fourteen years until Yosef was born. So so sixty-three plus fourteen is how much? Seventy-seven. Shiva no Shiva. it says How old was Yosef when he stood before Padre? He was thirty years old. So 30 plus 77 is a May of Hashem, 107. And then Yosef became the viceroy, became king. Then Shev, the Shiva, Vetarti, the Kafna, Shev, the Sava, the seven years of plenty. Vetarti, the Kafna, the two years of hunger, until Yaakov was reunited, reunited with Yosef. That was nine years. Hamei of Shitza. Nine plus 107 is 116. How old are you? Because he looked very ancient, very old. He'd never seen anyone so old. I'm 130 years old. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Mayor Shitzel, he was 116, not 130. We just did the math. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he said, no, really, I'm not old. I'm young compared to my father and my grandfather. I'm old. I had so much sadness, more sadness than my father and my grandfather. From here we see the 14 years that he was... As soon as he left his father's house, he didn't go right away to Padmaram. First, he went to Yeshiva to learn. Before you get married, you have to learn 14 years in Yeshiva. Totally immersed himself in learning. And there he didn't sleep. He was learning. Tanya, we learned And therefore, this he didn't count. Punished for it. The 22 years that he was in the house of Lovon until he traveled, till he came back home, for that Yaakov was punished. 
For 22 years, he didn't know if Yosef was alive. He was in mourning. But why wasn't he punished? He was away from his parents already another 14 years. For the 14 years of Taita, he wasn't punished. From here we learn, learning, studying Taita is greater than honoring your parents. Tanya, we learn the He was like hidden. He was hidden. 14 years. Two years after Yaakov left the yeshiva and went to Ram Narayim, Yaakov left and came to Ram Narayim. So, so when Yaakov stood at the well. When he arrived, he was 77 years old. Not when he confronted the... He worked for 14 years when he confronted the uh, 11, he was 77. No, he first arrived and he was 77. So how old was he when he first got married? 84 years old. <laughs> 84, first married. And he tells Reuven, Reuven, you're so special because you're the first, you're the first drop. He never once had any emissions his whole life. He was so pure. Pure. How do you know you, how do you know Yaki wasn't punished? How do you learn the Baraisa? Yosef was separated from his father for 22 years when Yosef was 17 until he was reunited to his father at the age of 39 do the math 39 minus 17 is 22 years just like his father was away from his parents from his father for 22 years but according to the Gemara, what do you mean? It was 36 years. You have to add 14 years. Mm-hmm. 22 plus 14 is 36. But the 14 years, you have to say, the 14 years in Yehavim is not counted. It wasn't punishment. Right? The Gemara says, at the end of the day, the base love and essence should not be. was only 20 years in Lovin's house. Right. So why 22 years? Because it took him two years before he was reunited, before he got home. He was, he, you know, he was very heavy with cattle and his whole family, and it, was, it wasn't easy moving this whole caravan. And then he had the problem with uh, he had a lot of problems on the road. Rachel died on him, and then and he had Shem, and, and, and you know the rape of Dina and. So, so he didn't get home. It took him, it took him two years till he got home. So, twenty-two years he was separated from his father. That's why he was punished for twenty-two years. He didn't know if Yosef's whereabouts, if he's alive or not. Tanu, I'm sorry. What? Tanu, <laughs> He left at Amnadayim, he came to Sukkot. He was 18 months in Sukkot. He traveled to Sukkot, even like Bayez, and he built a home, and there was his cattle, lots of Sukkot. So that was 18 months. He spent six months, and that's when he offered sacrifices. That's when he finished the first chapter of Megillah. And now, with Hashem's help, we begin the second 
chapter of Megillah. The four you, four you chapters. But we're more than halfway through. Can you extrapolate that he If you read the Megillah backwards, you haven't fulfilled the obligation. Hashem to explain everything in Torah is here a lesson in life. What, what, what kind of strange law? Who in his right mind? Right. Unless you're dyslexic, why are you reading backwards? I mean, why are you reading backwards? So he means to say, if you read the Megillah as if it's something that happened in the ancient past, it's history. So therefore, what happened at the end of the Megillah, you're working your way backwards. We're working our way back into history. What happened at the end of the Megillah is closer to us. What happened at the beginning of the Megillah is like further away from us. That's what means you're going backwards. If you look at the Megillah like it's something in the past, you haven't fulfilled the obligation. You have to read the Megillah. It's happening now. I'm Purim. When you're experiencing Purim, the Megillah is happening now. Everything that happened in the Megillah is happening now. It's, you're reliving, you're re-experiencing all those experiences. Mm. That's interesting because that means... Cut out if you read it by heart. You haven't fulfilled the obligation. Cut a Targum. If you uh, read the uh, translation or b'chaloshin in any language, you haven't fulfilled your obligation. The other languages which are not holy, even Targum, which in a certain sense has a certain holiness to it. So even if you're not reading by heart, let's say it was written, the Megillah was written in Targum, was written in English, written in French, Russian, you don't fulfill your obligation. You do, right? If we read it in English, we, we fulfill our... Oh, but then he says, But you could read the Megillah in a foreign language if someone understands it. Right. Hebrew, Hebrew language, you, can, you, you fulfill your obligation even if you don't understand it. Right? You hear the Megillah, but you don't understand a word that you're hearing. A lot of people hear the Megillah and they don't understand a word. Of course, Barry, you just learned Megillah, so you're going to know every single word. Not only understand every word, you understand the story behind it and the, the untold story. And, but most people hear the Megillah and they have no clue what, what was just said. doesn't matter, but, but in other language, you only fulfill the obligation if it's written in that language, if you understand that language. Mm-hmm. If you understand French, it's written in French. Right? But a foreigner heard the Megillah in Hebrew, you fulfill the obligation if you don't understand Hebrew. What if What if you heard it discontinuously? Stop and start. Right. The guy reads the Megillah, says a Lachayim, stops. <laughs> or he stops to think about what he just read because he doesn't want to read the Megillah backwards. He wants to relive it and experience it. Then he continues to read. Or he dozes off. Half asleep, you fulfill your obligation. Yatza. If you were in the middle of writing the Megillah, you were teaching the Megillah, you were editing. So your purpose for reading it is not to fulfill the mitzvah of reading the Megillah. Your purpose is to edit, to teach, to write. But nevertheless, if you had intention to fulfill your duty, obligation, so you're hitting two birds with one stone. While I'm teaching, I'm also reading the Megillah. Then you fulfill your obligation. If not, you're not to fulfill your obligation. I didn't read the Megillah to hear the Megillah. I heard the Megillah. I'm reading, reading the Megillah in order to edit it or to teach it. The Megillah was written with, uh, with a psalm. <coughs> or with sikra. 
Ubekumus, or with Kankanktum, different material, no, while Diftera, or it was written on a paper, or Diftera, you don't fulfill your obligation. Ashitek Suva Ashuris has to be written in Hebrew. Ashuris script, Allah Sefer, it has to be on parchment. Ubidyoy, it has to be black, black ink. Anything else, like Sam and Sikr and Kumus and Kankanktum, which are not black ink, you don't fulfill your obligation. He just said, we just said in the beginning of the Mishnah, that you can, if it's written in any language, you can fulfill your obligation. And then he concludes that it only has to be written in Ksavashuris, Hebrew. But some say, because in the Hebrew, you fulfill your obligation, even if you whether you understand Hebrew or not. But he doesn't exclude other languages as long as you understand. Other languages you must understand. If you write another language, you don't understand, then you don't fulfill the obligation. Others want to say, some Rishayim say, no, that even other languages, it has to be written in Ksavashuris, like the Hebrew letters. So you're writing English in Hebrew letters, or French in Hebrew letters. Like in Israeli newspaper today, half of modern Hebrew is foreign language. <laughs> so you're using Hebrew letters to spell out words that are basically, yeah, transliteration language. Okay, that's the Mishnah. How do we know this? How do we know that if you read it out of sequence, you don't fulfill your obligation? As it's written and in the right time. Just like at that time in the 14th and the 15th. It can't be out of sequence. First comes the 14th, then comes the 15th. He says the different holidays of Purim. So too, the writings also cannot be written out of sequence. So too, the writing also has to can't be read out of sequence. Just like the timing is in sequence, so the writing also. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll find out in a second. Does it say anything about reading? It says It says celebration. It says you should make these days to celebrate these two days. We're talking about celebration, we're not talking about reading. So how do you learn that you can you can't read the Megillah out of sequence? Rather, we learn it from here. These days will be remembered and will be done. Just like a celebration, he's, re- he's, con- he's comparing the reading to the celebration. Just like a celebration can't be performed out of sequence. So too. So too, the commemoration of the Megillah. And how do we know the celebration can't be out of sequence? Like we learned. We just learned. Because it says... It says... The 14th can't be, the 15th can't be before the 14th. So to the reading also, you can't read it out of sequence. The, the Megillah says, Just like the action first comes the 14th and the 15th, the celebration first comes the celebration of the 14th and the celebration of the 15th. So too, when you read it, it can't be out of sequence. You have to read it in order. The way it happened. 
Talmud, we learn the same is true with Halal. You can't read Halal out of sequence. You can't read Shema out of sequence. And also you can't daven out of sequence. The mother says, why not? Where do we know this? Halal, we know it. Where do we know that Halal can't be read out of sequence? Rabbi says, says in the first paragraph of Halal, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So too, the halal also has to be said. So too, the halal has to be said in the right sequence. It says in the halal. This is the day. That means as is. As in this order, the order of the day. Just like the day doesn't change, you can't change the day out of sequence. You know, the night followed by day, and the night, you can't change it. So, too, also, the halal also can't be changed. Rabbi Yomar says, As is. Hashem's praise should be as is. As the order and the sequence of the halal. Don't change the order. From here, it says, from today, Now, until, until forever. Until this time, forever. The halal has to remain in the same form forever. Without change. Okay, so that's how we know halal. Krishna, how do we know Shema can't be out of order, out of sequence? has to be as it is written not in any other language that's the opinion of Rebbe it has to be in Hebrew you have to read Shema in Hebrew otherwise you don't fulfill your obligation the laws follows the rabbis who disagree say no you can read the Shema in any language my time with the Rebbe was the reason of Rebbe it has to be in Hebrew because it says in the verse we continue on side B 17B you how you mean Babi Yasin it has to be in the Hebrew. As is. And what's the reason of the rabbis you can say it in any language? Because I'm a Shma. So Shma Shma means you should not just listen physically. You should understand. Hear. Hear what I'm saying. Listen, understand. Internalize. Shema, any language that helps you understand. It's not important the language as much as it's the inner understanding. So you can read in any language you understand. What's it ever going to do? It says Shema. Listen. In other words, the main emphasis has to be on your listening and understanding. So he'll tell you, Rebbe will tell you, Rebbe holds, Shema means you have to hear it, physically. You can't just whisper the Shema and just move your lips and not hear what you're saying. You actually have to move your lips and hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The rabbis hold that you don't have to. It's not a deal breaker. You don't have to. Ideally, you should, but it's, you fulfill your obligation if you don't hear the Shema. What's the rabbis going to do? He says, as is. Since they say Shema means you can say it in any language he understands, what does Bahayu, as is, come to teach me? 
according to the rabbis, Vahoyu well, comes to teach me, as is, you can't read it out of sequence. According to Debi, who learns Vahoyu, needs Vahoyu to teach me, it has to be as is in Hebrew, not in any other language. Where do we learn that you can't read, it can't be read, the Shema cannot be read out of sequence? So he says, Medvadim hadvadim. It says, Vahoyu hadvadim. Should have said, Vahoyu hadvadim. It says, Vahadvarim. So, Hadvarim comes to teach me that it cannot be read out of sequence. Hadvarim. These words as is. But Abbanon and the rabbis. Why the rabbis say, Vahoyukun comes to teach me that it can't be read out of sequence? You have Dvarim Hadvarim for that. The extra hey. So, it leaves Shema, it leaves Vahoyu to teach me. It should only, only be read in the Hebrew. Why do the rabbis say not, not so? We can't learn a whole halacha from the extra hey. Okay. Now the Gemara continues. Rebbe holds that the entire Torah, you can read the Torah in any language. Because since the Torah has to tell me that Shema has to be read in Hebrew, why does the Torah have to teach me Shema has to be read in Hebrew? If the entire Torah has to be read in Hebrew, why should Shema be anything different? Shema is part of the Torah. So from here, we can deduce that according to the Ebi, the entire Torah can be read in any language. That's why you need a special pasuk to teach me. Shema is the exception. Shema must be in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? There's no, is, there's no biblical obligation to read in the Torah. How can you do this one way or the other? There's no mitzvah to read in the Torah. He's saying that the, obviously Rebbe holds that there's a mitzvah to read in the Torah. It has to be done in Hebrew. The obligation to read in the Torah must be only fulfilled if you do it in the Hebrew. I'm sorry, in, in any language. That's why, and that's why I need a pasuk to tell me Shema is the exception. It has to be in the Hebrew. I need a pasuk to tell me the reading of the Torah is rabbinic. But there's no reading, there's no obligation to read in the title. There's no biblical obligation to read in the title. So why would I need a... So you can't prove anyway, how can you prove that the could only must, could be read in any language? What's the connection? Even if the is only read in Hebrew, the rabbi said it, only read in Hebrew. I still, I still need a pastor to tell me that Shema could only be read in the Hebrew. It's one exception. One biblical obligation you have to read. Biblical obligation to read from the Torah. What's that? Amalek. But how can you prove from here that Rebbe holds that the entire Torah must only be written, could be read in every, any language? Why? What's the proof? So Taisu says, what he mean, uh, disagrees with Rashi, he means that there's certain mitzvahs in the Torah, you have to read certain portions of the Torah. For example, a levered woman, if she doesn't want to marry her brother-in-law, um, you know, she died childless. Her husband died, her husband died childless. And she doesn't want to fulfill the obligation to marry her brother, her husband's her, her departed husband's brother 
So she has to go through the leveret process, and you have to read verses in the Torah. So then it's a biblical obligation to read from the Torah those verses regarding the leveret. Also, Egla Rufa, if you find a, a dead person and you don't know who the murderer is, and you have this whole procedure, you have to go out and you have to sl- break the neck of the, uh, the calf, and you have to. And you're not allowed to fly next to water and that or soil. You're not allowed to ever ever work that soil, and so you have to say the whole thing. You have to the whole verse verses. You have to say. Sota. Yeah. No, he's talking about something you read from the Torah. I thought. Bikudim, yeah, he doesn't. If for some reason he doesn't mention Saita, why? Well, Bikudim, Bikudim also. Vidu Maisa, when you tithe, you have, when you when you finish tithing, you have to say you confess. You have to confess. So all of that you can say it in any language, and that's why the Torah has to teach me that Shema is the exception. You say it in the Hebrew, because if the whole and everything has to be read in Hebrew, why do I need a pasuk? Why should Shema be any different? But it says, no, it's not a proof. The mother says, no, it's, I do need it. Even, really, I'll tell you that everything you read in the Torah is Lashem Kodesh. It has to be in the Hebrew. Then why do I need a special verse to tell me that Shema also must be in the Hebrew? Because I need it. I would think Shema, Kerabonon, since the Pasuk says Shema. I may have misinterpreted like the rabbis interpreted. That Shema means, listen, the most important thing is that you should understand this in any language you understand. That's what the Pasuk has to tell me. But how you know there must be in the Hebrew language? You don't want to say the rabbis whole, the whole entire Torah's read must be in, in the Hebrew language. And that's why you need a pasuk to tell me that Shema is the exception. Shema, you can say it in any language. If you're going to think to say, according to the rabbis, you can read in the Torah, those parts of the Torah that you have to read. You can say it in any language. Why do I need Shema? Why would I think Shema is any different? The rest of the Torah I can read in any language. But it says, no, it's not a proof. Really, I'll tell you, according to the rabbis, that the Torah you can read in any language. Nevertheless, I need a special pasuk to teach me by Shema. And it can be said in any language, because it's like I need it. Because I mean, I would think, why you? Since it says, maybe the Torah is teaching me it has to be as it is, it must be in Hebrew. So, that it can be in any language. Okay. How do we know that prayer cannot be recited out of order? Shimon Apkoli organized 18 blessings before Rabbi Amliel in Yavne when the Jewish Supreme Court moved to Yavne and he organized it in order. What if, you know, I, I think, so that means practically is that what if you skip a blessing in the Shimon Esri? You can't just make up, you can't just make it up. You have to go back, say the blessing and continue we're continue from that blessing, even though you said it already. So let's say you you, you forget atachinen, you go straight to the next blessing, and then you remember you have to go back atachinen 
You don't just insert it wherever you are. And then continue in the proper order. So not only is it important to say all the blessings, the order is also important. Eighteen blessings of Shemun was organized by the rabbis of the Great Assembly at 2,300 years ago. So, so this obsession with Mashiach did not start in Crown Heights. It started 2,300 years ago with the rabbis of the Great Assembly. Who instituted? A, uh, how many blessings he instituted for for health? A no grand way. total of one. How no important way. is health in your life from one to ten? It's eleven. <laughs> how many blessings did the rabbi of the great assembly organize for Parnassa, which y- your career, which engages most of your life, most of your adult life? A grand total of one. How many blessings did the rabbis of the Great Assembly organize and institute for the ple- blessings for the coming of Mashiach? Six, I guess? Five. Five, five or maybe six. six five You're blessings. Right. So, five. And how do you pr- pray? How do you pray for your health? How do you pray for your parnasa? You don't say, well, God, who am I to tell you to run this world? I'm a chutzpanyak. I'm a chutzpanyak. I trust you. Whenever you'll get around to bring Mashiach, what's the rush? I'm not rushing you. Maybe next year, maybe a decade from now. Who knows? Maybe next century. Oh, I'm, <laughs> you know, am I chutzpah? I'm going to tell you how when to bring Mashiach. Really? Is that how you pray for your health? Is that how you pray for your parnassah? You pray. I, I need it right there. You're banging the table. I need help now. I need parnassah yesterday. I have my bill. With an urgency. That's the same urgency as you're standing in front of Hashem. We're not playing games. With the same urgency, you're davening for Mashiach. I want Mashiach now. Now, one day he'll come. I don't know, in the future. You know, Mashiach is in the future and always will be. The cynic said. No, you have to pray. You're standing in front of Hashem. It's a genuine moment. You're praying with a sense of urgency. I need Mashiach now. Okay. Now he's going to go with the source for all, and this will also explain the sequence. There's a reason for all the sequence, the proper order. How do we know that we start with the We start with the sons of Elim, the sons of the mighty ones. So before you approach Hashem, you have to remember you're the sons of the powerful ones. So first we have to start with the patriarchs. That's our strength. And how do you know that you say the second blessing of Gavudas of strength? Remember it says, Give Hashem strength. That's the next line in order. The next order of business. Talk about Hashem's strength. Might. Because what are you asking in prayer? You're asking Hashem to change things around. That's what we mentioned in the second prayer. Hashem, Hashem changes things around. Cures the sick. You know, Hashem changes things. That takes might. That takes strength to change something. 
The first is more of a macro, and the second is more of a micro, you know? First is more of? Macro, like the overview, the great, the big scale of things. And the third blessing, how do we know we say holiness? Give Hashem the honor of His name and bow down to His holiness. So, so that's the third blessing. Not the Kaddish. Hashem Kaddish. Why do we talk about Seichel after Kaddish, after holiness? Now it says, because it says in Isaiah that after you sanctify the Holy One of Yaakov and the God of Israel, they shall revere and those who are in spirit shall know inside. So after holiness comes inside. Because those who are not holy, those who don't think with their head, they think with other, other parts of their body, <laughs> and they're completely slaves, addicted to their sexual appetites and to their earthly appetites, have no brains, lose their ability to think clearly, objectively, honestly about anything. Because they use their mind to rationalize a certain lifestyle. Most of atheism is nothing more than rationalizing uh, uh, an immoral lifestyle. So you want to live like a pig. You want to do as you please without any restraints. So therefore you become an atheist. Now I can do as I please. There's no God. There's no restraints. There's no limitations. There's no responsibilities. I follow every year. And then it becomes a mitzvah. This becomes a new religion to follow every urge and every, every sickness and psychosis and every sick urge that you have and every sick uh, uh, instinct that you have suddenly it becomes a mitzvah. So you have no bina, you lose, there's no kedusha, there's no holiness. It's holiness. Now we can start talking about understanding. Why tshuva, the blessing for tshuva comes after atachenu landas, hashivenu, the heart shall understand and will repent and be healed. Truva comes from Bina, from understanding. When you understand the consequences, the severity of your sin, and you understand who, who you sin, then you can do Truva. You understand who's, who you are, you understand where you're coming from, you understand the significance and the implications of what you've done and, and how important you are and how relevant and how connected and how and the, and the scars that you've left, then you can really do true. Then you can really regret what you've done. Not because of any external factors, because, you know, I'm getting hurt, I'm going to get punished. But real true, real true is you really regret your actions. You realize I acted foolishly. How could I have acted so foolish? So it only comes from an understanding. Right. So it says, look in the passage. It says, you'll understand, you do tshuva, and then you'll be healed. So right after the bracha, there should be the blessing for healing. No, no. 
it, should, it doesn't enter your mind. The healing should come after repentance. Let him return to Hashem, and Hashem will have mercy in him. And Hashem will forgive. So forgiveness comes after repentance. First comes forgiveness. And then he heals him. Before you get to the Fe'enu, first you have to have forgiveness. Forgiveness. Once Hashem forgives you, then you can have healing. Why are you relying on this pasuk? You have two psukim and contradict. Here it says first forgiveness. At first, right after, immediately after truva comes forgiveness. And the other verse, immediately after truva comes healing. So the says, is the third pasuk. It says, It says, Hashem forgives all your sins. Heals all your diseases, illnesses, redeems you alive from the pit. So therefore, it's a third verse that says that this is the proper order. At first comes forgiveness, and then comes healing. Are you going to say so? So redemption should come also after forgive to teach us. Oh, this comes to teach us that forget, that redemption and, and healing come after forgiveness. So first comes slach After Ashivenu comes slach forgiveness. But there is a passage that says earlier we learned first you do tshuva and then right away you get healed. When he says you will be healed it means Hashem will forgive you. That's a healing. Because it weighs heavily on your chest. If Hashem doesn't forgive you Forgiveness is the cure for the soul. If you don't, if you feel that Hashem did not forgive you, you can't live with yourself. So you just feel sick inside. Yes, maybe physical, and maybe the physical sickness is just a, a symptom of the spiritual sickness. When you feel Hashem has forgiven you. It's like a load off your chest. Ah, I'm back in Hashem's good graces. Hashem likes me again. We're in good terms again. You know, for a Jew to be fine, Hashem's disfavor. It's like when Shaul, he became, he became insane. When Hashem's Shechina left him, he couldn't, live, he couldn't live with it. Because without Hashem, his life was nothing. He was so holy and so spiritual and so godly. And he couldn't live without Hashem's uh, not being... Hashem did not find him favorably. He just couldn't live with himself. He became mad. Hmm. Some people get mad if they don't have money. He became mad because he... Because Hashem's Shechina the, the, the left him. So he's such a godly person, such a holy person. The, so so uh, healing is when Hashem forgives you, that's healing. But then the physical healing that comes after the forgiveness. Now the Gemara asks, So why is it followed by redemption? In the verse, redemption, redemption comes later. Redemption comes after after healing. And then Hashem redeems. Since Israel is destined to be redeemed in the seventh year, the modern Sanhedrin says that seven years before the coming of Mashiach, there will be unusual occurrences. 
Wow. Oh. The first year we'll see famine. Some areas. The seventh year we'll see great wars. In the seventh year Mashiach will come. There will be tremendous upheavals. Okay. Sounds familiar. That's why they place the blessing of redemption in the seventh, even though he's not referring to the redemption for, of exile. We're asking Hashem to redeem us of our own personal troubles. But since all redemptions are connected, my personal redemption in the microcosm is a taste of the redemption in the macrocosm. So that's why he placed it in Shaviyas in the seventh blessing and even before healing. The Master said in the sixth of the seventh year that precedes the coming of Mashiach, sounds will be heard. Either there will be rumors of Mashiach's arrival or the blowing of a shepherd. B'Shviyas in the seventh year there will be wars will break out. Mashiach will come at the, conclu- at the end of the seventh year. So he won't come in the seventh year. He'll come in the eighth year. So why is the blessing of redemption in the seventh, seventh blessing? But answers, the war that's going to break out in the seventh year will be the beginning of the redemption. It will be the defeat and the downfall of evil who has exposed themselves and shown the, shown the true colors. And this will be the total, total collapse, total downfall. Hmm. Why is the blessing of healing in the eighth month? Since the bris, circumcision needs a healing, and that's the, the eighth day, so therefore all healing. We have a doctor now. We have time. A doctor and a moil is one and the same. Because he says that's why the whole blessing of a healing is in the eighth because of bris. Since you need a healing from a bris, so to all the healing we already put into the eighth. Why the blessing for Parnassus is the ninth blessing? It's a blessing in those who raise prices unfairly. Those who have a monopoly on the market and raise prices. So it says, Break the strength of the wicked. And David said it in the ninth psalm. This is in the ninth psalm. Even though this is actually in the tenth psalm, but the Gemara already said hmm. that the, the first and second psalm are considered like one to one psalm. So therefore, the tenth psalm is really the ninth psalm. So that's why we say, so Parnassa, we ask for Parnassa, we ask Hashem should break the hands of those who try to monopolize the prices. So we say in the ninth blessing. <laughs> Others say, it actually says in the ninth and the tenth are considered like one sum. Why do you say, blow the shofar and gather us all together? Why is that in, in the tenth blessing? It says, why is that the following blessing? It says, it says in Ezekiel, your mountains of Israel sprout forth your branches and give forth your fruit to my people Israel for they are close to returning. So he, so he juxtaposes that the in-gathering of the exile will be at a time of bountiful harvest. Mm. So 
that's why we say the Kabbalah Shefer after the prayer for Parnas. Once Shem gathers in all the exiles, then there'll be a judgment time. All the wicked. says, I will turn my hand on you and purge away your dross. Hashem will smite the wicked no more. So he's talking. So therefore, there'll be a judgment. It says, I will still your judges as at first. As soon as the exiles are assembled, Hashem is going to restore. Before they even get to Yerushalayim, the wicked will be judged and justice will be restored. Because only then it says, Tzion will be redeemed through judgment. Mm-hmm. And those that return to her with righteousness. <laughs> Once you do judgment against the wicked, the transgressors will cease to exist. That's the next blessing. The Zaydan, the arrogant ones, the arrogant sinners will also be included with them. Shnamit says, The destruction of the transgressors and the sinners shall be together. And, and they'll all be, and those who forsake God, Yichlu will cease to exist. Mm. Referring to the blessing of Allah Mashinam, this wasn't actually incorporated by the rabbis of the Great Assembly, this was like 500 years later, how to deal with all the heretics, the Jewish heretics. You know, the sects that didn't believe in the oral Torah, the, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, the Essenes, and others. Mm-hmm. Once the transgressors die, the horns of the righteous will be exalted. It says in Tehillim, Psalms 75, that the horns of the wicked I will cut off, exalted should be the horns of the righteous. And the righteous converts are included with the righteous, as it says. They say, but talking about David the Pnezakin, he shall rise in the presence of an old person and honor the presence of a sage with Samachle, and immediately afterwards it says, Convert will dwell amongst you. That's why you include the righteous converts together with them. Where will the horn of the righteous be exalted? It says, it says in Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Yerushalayim, those who love her will be serene. <laughs> so that, that in Yerushalayim, that's where the horn will be, uh, will be elevated, exalted. So Yerushalayim is built, David HaMelech will come. It says in Hosea that after the children of Israel return and seek Hashem, 
and David their king. So this happens after they return. And they'll ask Hashem, and that's when David and Melech, that's when he said, Semach David, Avduchah Mehedes Atzmiyah. There's another question in them, Pirjashi Leit Haskolosim. Okay, we'll stop, we'll stop over here. Everyone have a wonderful day.